Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. And here we go. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means only one thing. Means the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Happy Friday. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there. My telephone number is 615-737-1045. Actually, not my telephone number. You ain't getting these digits. But if you want to call the show, 615-737-1045. we got Murphy Fair coming up in the back half of this show. We'll talk some high school football with him as we do every Friday night. I got to take a major television network to task for stupidity. That's something to stick around for. <laughs> but, folks, it's here. Well, it's pretty much here. New coach, new coordinators, new staff, new scheme, new uniforms, new faces, or maybe old faces in new places. But the question that still needs to be addressed and that we can't answer today is whether or not it is a new Tennessee Titans. That's the one we all care about. That's the one we'll be able to answer in about three months. But for right now, it's watch week one, see what's good, see what's not, and see what is bowling shoe ugly to steal from Jim Ross. Believe me, there's going to be some from all three of those categories, but it's a good opening opponent for Tennessee and Miami. Even though you've got Ryan Tannehill back and healthy, you don't have Jarvis Landry and all those receptions and yards. In terms of the ground game, Kenyon Drake is sort of a... It's a we'll see when it comes to towing the load on the ground. He's not really a bell cow back. And then in one of the bigger acquisitions the team made offensively was Danny Amendola. And I do think he's going to have a good year. He's going to help them move the chains. He's a talented player if he can stay healthy, and that has been something that's dogged him throughout his career, wherever he's been. But there is somebody who's not going to be a major contributor at that same receiver position. That's Devontae Parker. He's got the hand injury, broke his middle finger back in mid-August, and that is a huge absence for Adam Gase in this Dolphins offense. This could be a low-scoring football game. Could be. But one other thing that we know, is that Matt LaFleur did not show much of his game plan during the preseason. We didn't see Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis both on the field together, and that's going to happen quite a bit. We're going to see Lewis all over the place, I think. That's going to be a big benefit to this Titans team relative to getting ahead of the yardage and getting ahead of the sticks. This should not, and it really cannot be a team that finds itself in third down and long often. You can't really succeed that way in the NFL, no matter who you are, but you definitely can't here. 
Now, if you utilize Deion Lewis and you run those outside zone concepts properly, you get around that edge, you get downhill quickly, you do have a bit of a recipe for success here. Marcus Mariota now, and this could change, but I have said this repeatedly on this program. Some of you have agreed, some of you have disagreed. And if you do have final thoughts on Titans-Dolphins, What's going to happen? What you're looking for? 615-737-1045. I'll take your thoughts. But Marcus Mariota right now is an average quarterback that appears as if he's going to be that for his career, whether all of that is here in Nashville or elsewhere. He can be deadly accurate, but he also boxes up gimmies four yards past the line of scrimmage. He can run it, certainly. He's a dual threat. Smart player and a great young man. And he's got weapons. Corey Davis is this year's trendy fantasy it guy. Look at all the experts. Seriously, go to Rotowire or you know Matthew Barry at ESPN or wherever it is that you like to get your fantasy info. Corey Davis is one of those players a lot of people are talking about. Taewon Taylor's quick and he's smart. Made a couple of highlight plays during the preseason. Rashard Matthews has been better here than anyone could have expected since he got here. Delaney Walker is Delaney Walker. That basically means he's one of the top five tight ends in the game, at least in my opinion. Jonu Smith is kind of the heir apparent. And with the two of them together, that's an enticing tandem in 12 personnel. He could be ready for a breakout season. And we already already, we already kind of talked there about Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis. But remember back when I had Warren Sharp on in August, early August, Remember what he had said about Deion Lewis. He called him an outstandingly efficient player. That's his words, not mine. That could do great things in this Matt LaFleur offense. He mentioned Mariota in 11 personnel, which he struggled in last year. It is a grouping LaFleur absolutely loves. One running back, one tight end, three wide receivers on the field. The Titans did it 43% of the time last season. The Rams did it 81% of the time. So we're going to see some different looks And we're going to see some different guys used in different locales. A lot of different in that sentence, I know. LaFleur's offense, precision and timing, quarterback platforms, throwing guys open, and built off his experiences in Los Angeles. And I've talked about this stat in the past, but it's really instructive. One of the reasons that the Rams were so successful last year was Todd Gurley's numbers on early downs rather than what he did on third down. And here's how that breaks down. And you can start to situate in your mind how this could potentially look in Nashville if everything goes as it should. If everything's ideal, I guess. Maybe not as it should. Because the thing about it is, Ty Gurley doesn't play for the Tennessee Titans. So that is a bit of a difference in terms of being able to make that happen. But McVay used Todd Gurley so much smarter and so much more often as a receiver on early downs. In 2016... Todd Gurley had 48 targets, got 4.4 yards per attempt for a 38% success rate. Last year, 73 targets, 8.8 YPA, and a 49% success rate. Sharp also laid out numbers just recently that indicate running is far less successful than passing on first down by nearly 10% in terms of yards gained over the last few years per play. If you've got Gurley, or if you've got a back light Gurley that can catch, it really helps you out. So even though we're going to see a lot of 11 personnel, 
I'm curious to see some 21 personnel and what that could open up on first down. I mean, that's huge. From year to year, Gurley, 25 more targets as a receiver out of the backfield, 4.4 more yards per attempt, and an 11% higher success rate. Now, Jared Goff got better last year. Robert Woods emerged. Cooper Cup was awfully good. But the offense being better as a whole came down to what Todd Gurley did more than what anybody else did. And first down, getting ahead of the sticks, second and manageable instead of working to get third and manageable made a lot of difference for this Rams team. And you expect that that's going to continue. Now, what you hope for out of Deion Lewis is a safety valve and a different look than what Henry's going to give you from a physical standpoint. But on offense, we know in the NFL it comes down to the quarterback. I know I just used a few girly stats. Todd Gurley's not on this team. I am not comparing Derrick Henry to, Henry to Todd Gurley or Deion Lewis to Todd Gurley. That's just foolish. In the end, Marcus Mariota has to be the number two pick in the draft this year, or we're just not going to see much success against anybody half decent. Sunday, the line is also going to have to keep an eye out for Miami's pass rush. Keeping Mariota upright and healthy is job one. They're going to send the house at him, especially if they get a lead. They're also incredibly dangerous on the back end. Minka Fitzpatrick out of Alabama is somebody, he's got the skill set that he can dominate immediately. But you look at Charles Hayes, the first-round pick from last year, Robert Quinn, who they paid money to come in, Andre Branch, William Hayes, Cameron Wake off the edge. That is a challenge for this Tennessee offensive line. Quinn is scary good rushing the quarterback. And Matt Burke, the defensive coordinator in Miami, made it clear that the new philosophy for the Dolphins on the defensive side of the football is to get a lead early, force teams to have to pass more than run. Now, the Dolphins faced 431 rush attempts last year, a lot of them in the second half because teams had the lead on them and were able to just try to ground that clock out. But if you get the lead early, the way Burke sees it, and this is pretty commonsensical, if you get the lead early and you're forcing them to pass, then you can just straight up unleash that pass rush. And that is the strength of this Miami defense. Defensively for the Titans, you can't see me right now, but I've got shrugs around my shoulders. I've got a shrug shoulder just kind of situation here in the chair because there are a lot of question marks. Malcolm Butler was what scared you in the preseason and in camp legit? Or is he going to be all right? How did the replacements work out? How did the newcomers work out early? How big is the learning curve when their numbers are called? Is Kevin Byard out to prove 2017 wasn't his best year? How big a step forward is Adoree Jackson going to make on the outside? Logan Ryan didn't get an INT last year. That's what he was known for prior to getting to Nashville. Are they going to return? Can the Titans get to Tannehill early and often? Can they create a pass rush? And are they going to avoid the costly penalties that keep chains moving? I personally don't know what to make of this unit as a whole just yet. But I am cautiously optimistic that Dean Pease is going to make sure his guys are in the right position to succeed more often than not. This is not going to be the huge test compared to some of the offenses the Titans are going to face later on and more dynamic quarterbacks. But that makes it a really good first game for Tennessee. Miami, I picked them third in the AFC East. If you missed Wednesday's show, go to the archive. Subscribe via the podcast. Many are already doing it. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Find it. You can find every show that we have done. 
but I went through the entire NFL from worst to first. Don't look at my math. My math was off. There are going to be really bad teams in this league that win, you know, fewer than five games. But I've got the Dolphins third in the AFC East behind both, obviously, the Patriots and I believe in Sam Darnold. And I think that the Jets and Todd Bowles are going to come in second in that division. But you've got to get this win if you're the Tennessee Titans. I know without question, yes, it is a new coach. But Miami's probably a seven-win football team. These are the ones you have to get. It would be a really bad loss because nobody's out here expecting much from the Miami Dolphins. Now, you always want a victory, but you really need this victory. And if you want my prediction, Titans by 10. I think it will be a 1-0 start for Mike Vrabel. I like this matchup. I feel like Matt LaFleur held back even more than many of us think when it comes to his scheme. I think it's going to be fun to watch. I think it's going to be different and unique. And I think it's going to be a successful start for Coach Vrabel and the Titans. And, of course, all that coverage will be right here, starting with the Lee Company countdown to kickoff on Sunday. And we'll take you through all of the Titans radio coverage with the fantastic Titans radio crew and, of course, local postgame here as well. Also successful, always successful. And, by the way, we'll take your phone calls. What do you think is going to happen on Sunday? Are the Titans going to get this done? What do you have for their record? I'll take those thoughts in the next segment before we bring on Murphy Fair. 615-737-1045. 737-1045. Now, though, and we will have Murphy Fair to talk high school football in the back half of this show, but now we bring on somebody else that's pretty good when he talks about high school football for the DTC sports crew, Tom Duggan. Tom, how are you tonight? Jason, thanks for the plug. I'm doing great tonight. Excited about high school football. And by the way, I like that Titans prediction. I can't wait till Sunday. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, football's back, Tom. Not just high school, not just college. Now we're all just full on into the fall. This is the best, best time of year. And I know you guys are in Smithville for what should be a fun one tonight. It should be. We've got the, uh, an old-time border rivalry. These two teams go back some 50 years. We're talking about Watertown and DeKalb County. They have played each other. This will be the 40th meeting going back to 1963. And I tell you what, they've had some knockdown dragouts over the years. Now you got a Watertown team coming in. Man, they're riding high right now, 3-0, and ranked number six in the state in the 2A classification. Big upset last week at Trialsville County. Played an excellent ball game, rallied late in that game to win it. And they're coming to Smithfield tonight, taking on a DeKalb County team that was picked to win Region 3-4A, but they're off to a bit of a slow start. Their offense has struggled the last couple of weeks especially, and they're looking to get back on track tonight against this Watertown team. Watertown will be without their starting quarterback, Bryce Webster, who broke his collarbone at Trousdale last week. So uh, Heath Price, who's their Swiss Army knife, he's going to be engineering the team at quarterback tonight. Tennessee Tech commit. He's a great overall athlete. Can he get it done against this DeKalb County team tonight? It should be a fun game. It's always a fun game when these two teams get together. Now, folks out there, if you want to watch our game tonight, it doesn't matter if you're at home or if you've got your phone or whatever, you can log on to DTC3.tv. That's DTC, the number three, dot TV. And uh, Coach Chris Vance, J.R. Smith, and myself will have the call of the game from the Van Hoosier Stadium in Smithfield. Jason, I'm so fired up. Football, as you say, we're back. We're all in, and uh, we've got a great game coming up here tonight. Tom, you guys do a great job at DTC. Uh, I always look forward to those streams on Friday night, and this is a fun one tonight with Watertown and DeKalb. Have fun with it, and we'll be uh, tuned in. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. That is Tom Duggan. Again, live web stream of the game tonight beginning at 645. If you want 
to hear or see this Watertown DeKalb County game, www.dtc3.tv. Catch all the action live. Tom Duggan, who you just heard from, the coach Chris Vance, J.R. Smith, football game night each week on DTC Sports. Your thoughts on the Titans, 615-737-1045. More Big Six next. Big Six Friday edition, 104.5 The Zone. Thank you for making me part of your evening. I am Jason Martin, editor-in-chief of the Big Six blog as well. I'll have my Big Six takeaways from Vols ETSU shortly after that game concludes tomorrow. My Big Six takeaways after Titans-Dolphins concludes on Sunday as well. Just a couple more reasons to bookmark 104.5thezone.com slash Big Six blog to get all my writing updates plus, of course, all my pop culture stuff. So I laid out a lot of stuff there about the Titans in the first segment. I see we've got a couple of calls. We'll take those in a minute. 615-737-1045. Looking through the schedule at Miami. Win versus Houston. Loss. Huge game. Week three at Jacksonville. I think if they win there, they might win two more games this season that they otherwise would lose. The reason why I believe that is I think this team either starts one and three or two and two. One and three is what's in my head. If you go two and two, I feel like you're in a much better spot. But I've got, again, Miami win. Houston at home, loss. At Jacksonville, I'm going to say loss. Versus Eagles, loss. At Buffalo, win. Versus Ravens, win. At Chargers, loss. At Cowboys, loss. Versus Patriots, loss. At Indianapolis, it really depends because I don't know how good the Colts are, and we'll ha- we-, we will know a lot more about Andrew Luck, I think, by the time that that comes around on November the 18th. Tentatively right now, I will say loss. At Houston, win. I think they will split with the Texans this year. I think they beat the Jets the week after. I'm not sure about Jacksonville, but I'll take them splitting with the Jags and getting the one at home on December the 6th. At Giants, I'll say loss. Versus Redskins, win. Versus Colts in the finale, like I said, probably a split there in those games. Maybe a split in all three of these division matchups against those opponents. Seven and nine or eight and eight. And I think it depends on whether or not they beat the Jaguars in week three or not. Because one and three is going to be harsh. Because I think you go one and three, then you win two in a row. And then all of a sudden you lose one, two, three, maybe four in a row after that. And that could become very, very difficult. So that's where I'm at. Where are you? Chris in Springfield leads us off. Chris, what's up? Hey, man. I think first of all, I'll let you know, man. I really like your show, dude. I think you're doing a really, really, really good job with this time slot, dude. So keep up good work. Thank you, man. Uh, I'm like you, dude. I got my head, my hands shrugged up over my shoulders right now, bro. I'm going like eight and eight, seven and nine. Like, I'm a really big type fan. I think this might be a big year for Henry, dude. Like, if they just feed him, feed Henry the Rock, let Mariota just be a game manager, truly and honestly, let him dump it off to Delaney. I mean, they're going to lose a game that they're not supposed to even lose. They're going to win a game they're not supposed to, they're not going to, they're not going to win, you know. Um, but I'm with you, dude. We share the same mindset, missing the playoffs this year, but, you know, looking for potential for next year, dude. Tighten up, man. Be real. Indeed, Chris, and thank you for the kind words. I just we don't know enough about Lafleur's offense and and how it's actually going to look on the field. It's fascinating from that perspective. What's actually going to happen once we get there? We're just not there yet. We'll know more in a couple of months. I could sound like a complete idiot, or I could sound like Nostradamus. It's all predictive. It's all speculation. I'm just ready to see the football at this point. 
I'm going to shift gears here for three, four minutes and just remind you that a few weeks ago, I told you, don't overreact to this helmet rule. They're going to get that worked out. Last night, we saw smarter tackling, safer tackling. It wasn't an issue. But I also said the thing that did worry me was the so-called Aaron Rodgers rule, which I laid out for you in detail. And we saw it last night when Grady Jarrett tackled Nick Foles and got flagged for 15 yards and gave up that automatic first down. Pete Morelli of the officiating crew spoke about it in Minnesota. Now, Anthony Barr injures Rodgers last year. He broke his collarbone on the play. It's a tackle where Barr landed with all his weight on Aaron Rodgers. At the time, it was not a penalty, and now it is. Because the rule gets rid of one word and changes it. When tackling a passer who is in a defenseless posture, for example, during or just after throwing a pass, a defensive player must not unnecessarily or violently throw him down or land on top of him with all or most of the defender's weight. Basically, in the past, a a defensive player had to throw a player down and land on top of him with all body weight. New rule, you get flagged if you do either one of those two things. Jim Miller played in the league. He now does radio in Chicago. He discussed last night's hit with the league exec, and this is from his tweet. Quote, officials will call anything even close to a pile drive or just landing on a quarterback. NFL emphasized in tape after tape this offseason, want defenders to roll tackle quarterbacks, unquote. Folks, I have no idea how this is supposed to happen. These are huge, speedy athletes playing at high speeds. Asked to find a way to contort themselves in order not to land on the person they're tackling. Somehow the NFL has become hot yoga. You had better be flexible and able to dodge bullets. You're going to cost your team 15 yards simply by rushing, not roughing the passer. Dan Wetzel tweeted out last night that Jarrett play was 15 yards for tackling the quarterback, and he's dead right. Jarrett did not rough Nick Foles. He hit him, and he finished the tackle. I told you I was worried about this. This is going to be really irritating to watch. And based on Miller's tweet, it's going to get called like crazy. And while we're at it, let's not forget that catch, that non-catch by Julio Jones, the 53-yarder that everyone saw was a catch. So that rule was not fixed either. Andy Staples says a catch is one foot in bounds with control, or and this is his tweet from last night, or if within the field of play, control the football and make one football move. At least that's the definition in the fun version of football. He and I talked about it on this very program five weeks ago. It's in the podcast archive. Find it. 1045thezone.com or subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. College football is much more entertaining and atmospheric than the NFL. It's not even close. And we know what a catch is. Get you some of that, Jalen Tabor. Get you some of that, Jalen Tabor. Or maybe I should have said Andy Benoit. One call before we get to break. We got Murphy Fair coming up on the other side. Jordan in Springfield. Jordan, what's up? Hey, Jason. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, what do you think as far as I see the Titans going seven and nine, eight and eight, but I also see the offense improving while taking a step back from last year's team. Um, I had somebody that they considered Marcus to be Alex Smith 2.0. You know, somebody that's got good feet and is a game manager, you know, is just going to control the game. Do you think he could take the next step with LaFleur or do you think, you know, what we've seen these three years is about all we're going to get? Thanks. I think it's fair to ask the question, and we just don't know yet. Now, the one thing that you need to understand is that last year, Alex Smith was not a game manager. And really, 
I think he was vastly underrated in Kansas City. He had the highest passer rating in the league, threw for over 4,000 yards, 26 touchdowns and five interceptions. Threw for 269 yards a game. That's not a lot, but it's also not terrible. Marcus Mariota, if he's Alex Smith 2.0, I think you're fine. Alex Smith yards per game last year was eighth in the league. I just looked it up. I, I don't know. I think w- the first part of what you said is absolutely right. And I said this in the NFL preview on Wednesday. There are a couple of different teams in this league, and I think the Tennessee Titans might be an example of one of them that will play better, more competitive, more exciting, and football that you think is going to win you games, and they might have a worse record. Because the record they had last year, to me, is not indicative of the team that they were. Their record was better than they were. This year, I think that the record might be a little bit worse than they are. You can sometimes take a step forward as a team, and it still takes a little while to show up in the numbers. We got Murphy Fair next. Stick around. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Welcome back. Friday edition. Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. NFL football returns to the airwaves this Sunday. Titans, Dolphins, we got you covered. Local pregame through local postgame. And, of course, the Titans radio call with the Vot, Dave McGinnis, Rep Brian, and the whole Titans radio crew coming up on Sunday as well. But before we get to Sunday, we get to Saturday, and that's college football. And before we get to Saturday, well, it's Friday night, which means it's time for high school football, and that means on the Big Six on Fridays, it means we bring in our good friend Murphy Fair. Murphy, how are you tonight? Hey, son, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing all right. Well, you were headed to Memphis tonight, but you decided you're not. You're going to be there for Pearl Cone at CPA. Kane Patterson, two weeks ago, it was announced that he had decommitted from Ohio State. He was going to work to focus on his senior year, didn't want the pressure, wanted to try and win a state championship. And now we know he's headed to play for Dabo Swinney. He's going to go play at Clemson, which, I mean, good for him and congratulations to him. He's a great kid. He's a great football player. And Clemson just got themselves a high-character guy, which is something I think Dabo Swinney usually seeks. Yeah, and I think that's uh, I think that's a great mix. That's a great marriage. Uh, I really like the way uh, uh, Dabo Sweeney goes about, uh, uh, you know, meeting with his kids and his kids' families and that sort of thing. And I just think uh, as important as family is uh, to young Mr. Patterson, that was uh, probably the next logical choice. We did talk about Alabama a little bit last mm-hmm. week, but I think at 10:30, uh, I mentioned uh, Clemson being in the mix also. Uh, with uh, Chad Withrow, uh, or actually with uh, Chris East, because Chad had already taken off for the UT game. He's lazy. He's lazy. When 10, 10.30 rolled around. But I'm, I'm really happy. And, and that's another reason I'm going to CPA tonight, just to see, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, the the game that he uh, was knocked out of last week against, or last year against the Webb School of Knoxville. I was there for that playoff game. And uh, what a, what a deal breaker! What a what a blow it was to CPA and I, and to to Cade especially. Um, so I'm really glad to see him back in the mix and anxious to see what he's going to do tonight against a, a very good Pearl Cone team. Yeah, do you expect to uh, do you expect that one to be a war? I mean, Pearl Cone they've lost one this season, but they're a really good football team. CPA, I saw them in person against Ensworth. When they're firing on all cylinders, and I would suggest they were not that night and still won that game fairly easily. They had three separate 17-point leads. Ensworth kept fighting their way back. That's a young team. It's going to get better. But 
This is kind of an intriguing matchup on a night where we don't honestly have some of the more star-studded stellar matchups. Those are still to come, and then we've had a few already this season. This isn't like the banner week when it comes to that, but Pearl Cone and CPA, that's a solid ball game. Well, if last year's game is any indication, we're in for a lot of fireworks. 49-46 Pearl Cone last year. Uh, lots of offensive power, obviously, on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Uh, two great coaches, two traditionally strong programs. Uh, and it's one of those that uh, where you find a, uh, an inner-city school matching up with a, a private school at the initiation, I think, for the most part, from a private school. Uh, kind of a great life lesson for kids on both sides of the field. And uh, it's kind of like the, the NBA Pearl Cone kind of thing, uh, where – both sides kind of get to experience uh, how how the other side uh, lives and grows up, if you will, so to speak. And it's one of those, uh, uh, I think, culturally rewarding games uh, that everybody comes out a winner regardless of what the score is at the end of the game. Murphy Fair, our guest here on the Big Six, as we talk about high school football every Friday at this time. Another interesting matchup, two undefeated teams, Page and Ravenwood. First time Ravenwood, Murph, has been undefeated at this stage in the season, 3-0 and since 2015, and they have trailed in the second half of every game and have come back to win it. So that's uh, you, you have to like that because eventually you're actually going to have leads, but the fact that you can come back and your kids have that level of poise, that gives you a lot of positive feelings about Ravenwood. That was a 25-point win for Ravenwood last year, and although I'm sure the Raptors going into the game a pretty heavy favorite in this one, I really like this uh, Page football team. Uh, in 5A for the first time last year and, and did rather well uh, moving up to that classification. They may very well be 6A next year, if not in a couple of more years. But they've got a very talented quarterback. They threw the ball an awful lot three weeks ago in a jamboree at Oakland uh, over in Murfreesboro, and I was very impressed uh, with Charles Rathbone's football team. I think uh, – I think that one has a chance to be a whole lot closer than a lot of people think. Yeah, I think you're I think you're absolutely right, as a matter of fact, on that. Maryville and Alcoa, I don't know what else we really need to say. Two incredible coaches. Maryville, I think, is number one right now in the Super 25 across the state. They've already had an impressive win. This is just one of those games with two of those programs in the state of Tennessee that will have everyone's curiosity, regardless of how close you live to either school. Oh, I agree. And, and Alcoa doesn't win that game very often. Obviously, Alcoa, a 3A team against 6A Maribel. But the two schools are about 8 or 10 miles apart. A great rivalry there. Great coaches on both sides of the field. Great fan support. Great administrative support. Both schools have open zone policies. Uh, so they get a player or two here and there that's not necessarily zoned to go to that school. And that's one reason why you see so many athletes on both teams. Interestingly enough, neither school sends a lot of kids to major D1 programs, but they're just great high school football programs uh, that don't make a whole lot of mistakes. Alcoa probably with a little more speed. Uh, Maribel maybe with a little more maturity. Uh, and, and by that, I mean a, a much larger senior class. But Derek Hunt and Gary Rankin, two of the state's best, Gary uh, Rankin at Alcoa, the state's all-time winningest coach, and just keeps putting more distance between himself and other coaches uh, in that career coaching record category. Uh, Derek Hunt, only in his second year as a head coach, 
but looks like looks like he's been in that position for 15 or 20 years. The way he works and acts on the sideline, um, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting game on turf at Maryville, uh with uh, packed packed bleachers on both sides of the field. They'll probably be six or eight deep all the way around the stadium. So, how close do you think Alcoa can keep it? I mean, the classification is the classification. How tight do you think this game could be down the stretch? Oh, I think it's going to be closer than a lot of people think, and I actually think Alcoa's got a chance to win the game. Uh, it all boils down to the uh, to the classic things that you talk about, turnovers and penalties at the wrong time, but neither school uh, makes a lot of mistakes in those uh, categories. So I, I look for this one to be a you-pick-em kind of game, and if we look at the, uh, at the scoreboard tonight about 10 or 10.30, it would not surprise me at all to see Alcoa in the winner's column. Let's go in the opposite geographical direction, Murphy. MUS and NBA, that is another one of those just sort of intriguing matchups to keep your eye on tonight. Again, it's not the most star-studded slate, but there are certainly a couple of football games that should have our interest. Well, you know, this was not supposed to be either one of them's year. I think uh, a lot of people were pointing at other directions. I know Briarcrest's name and Christian Brothers have come up a lot. Uh, but MUS does not shy away from anyone. Uh, they've got South Panola, Mississippi on their schedule and a couple of other, uh, uh, teams that, 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 that they don't, they don't mind facing off against on a regular basis. Marty Uberard and NBA the same way. And with NBA having gone to Memphis, or excuse me, Chattanooga last week and hammering McCauley, a team that was expected to challenge Brentwood Academy for the East Middle Division of Division II AAA, uh, that tells me that uh, uh, Marty Uberard and his staff are doing an incredible job once again out there on West End Avenue. I think everybody, for the most part, figured McCauley would win that ball game, but NBA controls it from start to finish. Uh, I think it was a 28-21 uh, NBA win last year in Memphis, and I look for uh, uh, NBA to win again this year, and it might even be more than a touchdown. should be a great game to, to go to. And really, this is just sort of obscure and strange, but North of Cookville at Clay County High School, their coach just kind of got dismissed last week for no real reason. Like, we have no idea what happened, and he's already gotten another job. How strange is it to you that three games into the 2018 campaign, there's a coaching change and there's a coaching hire like that? Yeah, that doesn't happen very often in the middle of the season like that, but I and I don't know, I think it was maybe a local politics kind of thing where maybe uh, somebody in a position of power uh, possibly upset that his son wasn't getting to play as much as he should have or uh, some other thing like that. You know, uh, as crazy as it sounds, that kind of sounds, that thing kind of does happen more often maybe than one might think. And, and now instead of him driving, you know, 30 to 45 minutes to the east to work, He's driving 30 to 45 miles to the west to go to work, and that's in Lafayette, Tennessee, where uh, he's now on staff with the Macon County Tigers and uh, seems to be pretty happy about it. He's moved from 1A to 4A, uh, and, and that Macon County staff, with the move of their uh, uh, coach uh, to take an assistance position at Gallatin last year, has got Kyle Shoulders, the former head coach at Red Bowling Springs, who spent a year or two at Oakland in Murfreesboro as an assistant, he goes back home and takes the Macon County job, and just about everybody on that Macon County staff is uh, is new to uh, a coaching position at Macon County this year. So it'll be interesting to see 
uh, how that one plays out tonight as well. Well, Murphy, we always appreciate it. We'll let you uh, get there out there on the field there at Pearl Cone at CPA. That should be a fun game tonight at CPA, a good atmosphere, and I'm curious to see how close Pearl Cone can keep that game. Well, they've got a great atmosphere going on out there tonight anyway because they've got uh, – uh, it, it's some kind of a special night where younger kids in the elementary school come in and they got a bunch of those uh, uh, things you crawl into and bounce around in and picnic kind of uh, atmosphere all over the campus. So uh, I don't think you'll find me in one of those bounce houses, but I might find a tailgater or two to well, look for. Be, be careful. We don't need you blowing out a hip. I need you on Fridays for this segment. <laughs> okay, Jason. Talk to you later. Buddy. All right, Murphy. We'll talk to you next week. That is the great Murphy Fair. We'll be right back. Big Six, 1045 The Zone. Final segment of the program, final segment of the week here on the Big Six. Chad Withrow, high school football coverage coming up straight ahead. Certainly don't want to miss that. I'm Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Tomorrow, Tennessee Tailgate Show with Joey Kent. We'll be on at 12.30 to get you set for the game against ETSU. We're going to have Fred White, hashtag VFL tomorrow. Also, Josh Ward from WNML will join us. Have a lot of fun getting you all set for the Tennessee game there. And, of course, Titans-Dolphins on Sunday. Full coverage here on The Zone. And then Monday, really cool. I am beyond blessed and just super humbled to be able to announce that as part of the big six as we are continuing to expand in many ways monday night titans 6 p.m live from martin's barbecue on fourth avenue mark mariani joins the show jim wyatt the great jim wyatt will be with us all season long and i've been asked to host and i just don't even know what else to say I sat down with Mike Keith a couple of days ago. I don't have much respect for more people in this business or as just people in general than I do Mike Keith. And for him to smile and look at me and say he's thrilled that I'm taking over, it it's just one of those moments that I'm never going to forget. So Monday Night Titans, me, Mark Mariani, Jim Wyatt, we will button up and make sure that everything and every angle is covered on the Titans game. And we'll talk about league issues as well. It's just, it's going to be so much fun. I can't wait to do it. So, last night, NBC took a very bold step. We saw it in the preseason, and it changed football forever. We have never felt so in the know as we did last night. Not because Chris Collinsworth misdiagnosed the run-pass option no less than 15 times, and also not because Michelle Tafoya had to fill a bunch of weather delay time. No, last night... And I have no idea how we didn't already have this and how we've actually been able to watch football without it. But last night we were given an in. We now know exactly where a team needs to go to get a first down. Wait, what? Now, the Big Six asks, why is this a thing? Seriously, ladies and gentlemen, the National Broadcasting Company and all its genius, the Peacock has opened a door to an entirely new viewing experience. We now know where the first down marker is. 
Oh, wait. We, we've actually known that since at least 1998. The Ravens and the Bengals back on September the 27th, to be exact. That was the debut of something we affectionately refer to as the yellow line. I'm not sure what football even is without it at this point. I can't even, I can barely even remember watching games without it. It's been 20 years since the yellow line made its first emergence. It took like seven years after that for all broadcasts basically to begin using it. It was kind of a slow going. There's actually an oral history of the yellow line available, and it's very much worth your time. I'll tweet it out at the end of this show. But now we have something we're never going to affectionately refer to as the green zone. That might be the yellow line. The green zone cannot be a thing. This thing is as unnecessary as eating a third donut. It actually makes the entire broadcast somehow look fake because we have graphics everywhere. And then people are just, they look like they're superimposed over the top of a PS4 screen allegedly playing football. This green zone, if you can believe this, is somehow worse than the Matt Damon film, the Paul Greengrass film from years ago. But we have reached a place where Madden actually looks more realistic than pieces of an actual NFL broadcast on a major network because at least they're honest that what they're doing is a depiction of football and not real football. I am not going to get used to the green zone because when did the yellow line become not enough? Remember Fox's NHL coverage? I know you know exactly where I'm headed here. The infamous neon puck, which made hockey look like you were in a bowling alley after like 11.30 p.m. on a Friday night. But this green zone, it just looks dumb. And here's what's funny about it. They realize it's a distraction. You pick green on a green field for precisely one reason. You don't want to be a distraction. You want it to be subtle because you recognize inherently it's a detriment to the coverage. So how about you just get rid of it? Stop this. Look, great experiment. Good try. Good effort, LeBron. But get rid of this thing. Give us the yellow line that we're already used to and let that be a wrap. This does not need to be a thing. No one was clamoring for it to be a thing. No one understands its purpose past what was obvious in the beginning. So I ask you folks, the green zone, how on earth is this a thing? On our way out the door today, and again, Chad Withrow coming up with high school football coverage, Tennessee tailgate tomorrow, 1230, Vol Network coverage of Tennessee ETSU tomorrow, Titans Radio on Sunday with Titans Dolphins as the regular season begins, and we hope that the regular season opener is going to be more exciting than a lot of what we saw last night up in Philadelphia between the Falcons and the Eagles. Speaking of which, I've got a couple of different stats, but first let's remind you out for the game against Miami for the Titans. Outside linebacker Harold Landry dealing with his ankle. The offensive lineman, Jack Conklin, no one surprised here. He's got the knee. Safety Kendrick Lewis is out with a foot injury. Inside linebacker, the rookie Rashawn Evans, still nursing a hamstring problem. He will not play. Derek Morgan was a full participant at practice today. He's not sure how much he's going to play. The quote from Travis Haney of The Athletic is, however I can be available, that's what I'm going to do. But he will play. Outside linebacker Derek Morgan will play 
on Sunday in some form, in some capacity against the Dolphins. That is a good piece of news. Before we get out of here, let's make you smarter. So yeah, that game last night was not very good. If you had a bunch of players on that, on either one of those two teams on your fantasy roster, then you're probably going to lose week one. But this is just unbelievable. I gave you this stat several weeks back about Julio Jones and how few touchdowns he caught. No one caught over 1,400 yards in an NFL in an NFL season like Julio did last year and had four or less touchdowns. He had three. He's kind of a decoy. He's in double and triple coverage a lot. Sanu caught a, a lot more touchdowns than him over the last three seasons. It's just hard for him because they know what a threat he is, so they try to make it difficult on him. This is Matt Ryan in the red zone on Thursday. One for nine with an interception. 0 for 3 in an interception targeting Julio Jones. But here's a stat. Matt Ryan, in the last two seasons, targeting Julio Jones in the end zone, and this includes the playoffs, 1 for 20. You got to get that fixed. I don't know if it's Sark. I don't know if it's Matt Ryan. The answer is probably yes to both. You got to get that fixed. High school football coverage coming up with Chad Withrow. You don't want to go anywhere. Tennessee tailgate tomorrow. Titans football on Sunday. Vols football tomorrow. And then Monday night, Big Six. Monday night Titans with Jim Wyatt and Mark Mariani and your phone calls. I can't wait to get this thing started. We're going to have an absolute blast. I am so blessed. I hope you are too. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose. God bless. And good night. Withrow next.